We prefer descriptions of the way things are that do not challenge the way things are. We prefer descriptions of the way things are that do not challenge the way things are. One of the things we're finally beginning to recognize in the modern world, something we are finally beginning to attend to in the developmental process of human beings throughout history, is that we are constantly constructing, constantly creating through our imaginations the world we live in. We are constantly making the world by our imaginations. The shorthand for this is that commonly held phrase, perception is reality. That is what you and I perceive to be true, regardless of its actuality, is the reality from which we see, hear, and relate to everything and everyone else. What has taken us longer to name, taken us longer to become mindful of, is that before perceptions become realities for us, our perceptions, our ways of thinking, feeling, seeing, hearing, our beliefs, and so much more have already been created by the world, by the environments in which we live and move. None of us, none of us enter the world as a tabula rasa, as a blank slate. We are all inheritors of societal norms, inheritors of expectations and assumptions that have been shaping what we believe to be reality while we were yet in the womb. Just as I have received certain features and characteristics from my biological parents, I have my mother's gritty sensibilities and my father's balding head. I have also inherited certain ways of being from everyone who has gone before. It's a slow drip of perception that has been shaping your and my reality from day one. Now, this may not at first sound like good news, but here's the upshot. When we become aware of what has been shaping our perception and how it has trained us to live and move, we can discern from a place of heart consciousness what aspects of our formation over time is actually life-giving, life-giving for ourselves, for others, and for the world. We can alter our perceptions. We can alter our realities so that we are aligning continually with the reality of God with us, with how we are seen by Jesus, with how we are known by the Spirit. Jesus tells his parable from our gospel reading today to people whose perceptions and expectations of what God's kingdom looks like have been shaped by a long history of desire among the people of Israel, by many preconceived ideas about how God will bring about justice and peace on the earth 
through an all-too-earthly kingship. So Jesus begins his teaching by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like this. As he goes on to describe a familiar scenario in first century Palestine, there's a grower planting wheat in his field. He has a jealous enemy. The jealous enemy, knowing that he planted seeds that morning, goes behind him in the night and plants darnel seeds. Now, any botanist in the room may recall that wheat and darnel look nearly identical as they begin to grow, so much so that it would easily deceive a farmer into believing that the darnel, which grows faster than wheat, is simply wheat growing ahead of schedule. Interestingly enough, darnel is a key ingredient in an ancient potion that was said to keep one safe from being poisoned. And it was said by botanists from as early as 3rd century BC that when darnel grows among wheat, the wheat is actually likely to become darnel. So, returning to Jesus' parable and expanding how it might have landed on the ears of its first hearers, the kingdom is like someone who came by night and planted a seed that is the key ingredient for fighting off the poisons of this world, which grows unsuspectingly, quietly transforming everything that it touches. At first, this parable seems like a cute story about wheat and weeds. And while there is truth to this surface reading of the text, the layers beneath invite us to imagine how the kingdom of heaven actually operates in the realm of earth. I think it's helpful here to reflect on what a weed really is. When we hear the word weed, the image that often comes to mind, or at least often comes to my mind, is the dandelion growing in the cracks of my driveway or in the middle of an otherwise grassy lawn. What makes a weed a weed is not the plant itself. A dandelion growing in a field of dandelions, for instance, is a dandelion. What makes a dandelion a weed is when it grows where I don't want it to grow. That's the definition of a weed, something that grows wild where I don't want it to grow. If that doesn't sound like the gospel, I don't know what does. The gospel grows wild, refusing to stay in the raised bed of our churches. It seeps into the cracks and crevices of everyday life, transforming everything that it touches, often much to our chagrin. It turns wheat into darnel, staving off the poisons of this world so that followers of Jesus succumb not to judging others nor to the fear of others' judgment. The gospel strengthens followers of Jesus to trust the movement and call of the Spirit, even while the voice in our heads and the perceived anxieties of others fight against the transformation of our hearts. 
Those hearing Jesus' parable of the seed grower had a vision of God's kingdom that would bring about universal peace by placing God's chosen at the helm, ruling from on high. And here we have Jesus speaking of the kingdom as something subversive, something that comes like a thief in the night that transforms everything it touches and does so quietly, patiently, as each person learns to receive the transformation of their hearts and begins to construct, to create, with the Spirit, a new world from within the old. This description of the kingdom, however, betrays our culturally inbred desires for worldly growth and glory. This kingdom has nothing to do with the world of appearances. It has everything, everything to do with our inner attitudes and intentions, with the heart's alignment with God. We have a tendency, however, to get caught up in pulling weeds, to get caught up in trying to uproot each other rather than opening ourselves to what God may be up to between us. My fixation, for instance, on what you're doing wrong and, what, and your fixation on what I'm doing wrong keeps both of us from receiving the harvest that God is making grow in our midst. Instead of tending God's love, we tend our own wills, tend our own fears, tend our own sense of right and wrong. These sensibilities, largely inherited from societal and cultural expectations that have been conditioning how we perceive reality, preconceived notions of right and wrong, what can and cannot be, what should or should not happen, may very well be what prevent us from being transformed, from having our lives subverted by the gospel, from aligning with the kingdom of God that grows quietly from within. It all comes down to receiving. My new favorite sitcom, The Bear, in an episode from season two, there are two dessert chefs working together in a kitchen in Copenhagen. And one chef asked the other, how'd you get so good at this? Honestly, says the other, I made lots of mistakes, but I worked hard and I started to feel like I was really the best. And everywhere I worked, I really was or I became the best. And then he continued, then I started at this really great place, and this other chef started on the same day as me. And I thought we were competition, but we really weren't. He was better than me, much, much better than me. He worked harder and faster than I ever could. And it was the first time that I realized I wasn't the best, and I was never going to be the best. So he continued, I started looking at it like, like it was a good thing. Like I knew who the best was now and I could take that pressure off myself. And the only logical thing to do was to try to keep up with him. So I never left this guy's side. 
and you got better the first chef asked I got better better than I ever thought I could possibly be just by trying to keep up with him I think at a certain stage he continues it becomes less about skill less about hard work and more about being open open the first chef asks yes open to the world to yourself to other people the best meals i've ever had he concludes were not about skill or hard work it's because they were inspired so often so often we look at the people and events in our lives as if they are happening to us as if we're in competition or that we're victims of circumstance when we receive them when we receive them however as happening for us we open ourselves to becoming more than we were before we become better versions of ourselves openness to each other to all of life's happenings is openness to the inspiration of god receiving each other and receiving the circumstances of life is how we receive god instead of looking for some kind of roundup to ward off what appears to be weeds and the well manicured lawns of our lives maybe we need to quietly listen to how the gospel is challenging our descriptions of the way things are the way things are in our lives in our relationships in our community how things are dare i say in our church the wisdom of the ancients is recognizing that openness to the gospel's subversion of our lives is received from the heart for the love of god writes the anonymous author of the cloud of unknowing for the love of god get out of your head take your mind into your heart for i tell you that truth cannot be known by efforts of the intellect your faculty of knowing must become dark so that you see with your spiritual eye with the eye of your heart like a man with a hammer who sees only nails if we are going around with the roundup of inherited misperceptions we will only see weeds we will only see who or what does not belong if we tend god's love however we will receive patience and come harvest time we may very well notice that everything has been transformed by the seed of the gospel that everything is being transformed so to become a potion of grace amen